Welcome to the Kansas City Star Royals podcast. I'm Blair Kirkhoff here with Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell. We're just going over some some Royals records, uh, one-loss records over the last week, this homestand, the last uh, few weeks. And I see more W's than L's uh, over this period. And that's when you look at them month by month, um, many more L's than W's. But uh, pretty good here recently. And Sam McDowell, you've been out here uh, almost every day covering this team uh, at home. What's going on? What 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 is uh, what, what do we owe this to? I think, you know, when you look at it, obviously they're getting significantly better starting pitching than what they got earlier in the year. They've sort of solidified some of the, their spots that were in flux for three or four months, really. And the biggest thing to me, though, is stylistically, I think they're a different team than we've seen maybe a little bit more towards the 2014, 2015 teams, the teams that use speed and athleticism as, as the strengths and cause havoc on the bases. You know, last night they stole four bases. Whit Merrifield leads the AL again in stolen bases. Of course, it's not the, the, the days of old when, when 80 or 90 would lead the league. <laughs> when you needed 80 or 90. <laughs> He's got 33. But but then uh, Adalberto Mondesi has 16 since the All-Star break, which also leads, leads all of baseball. So you're seeing a team that – is using speed again, and that's what fits this ballpark, I think, best, and which is a reason that, you know, like, like you mentioned, I mean, they're 11-5 and five in the last 16 games now. Sam, I'm, I'm wondering, and, and sort of been watching from afar with other duties and not been here anywhere near as much as you. I mean, so some of the numbers we were going over, 22-27 and 27 since the All-Star break, 11 of the last 16, seven in a row at home. On one hand, you're talking about it as, as sort of a reflection of maybe a – reversion to the old emphasis but on the other hand it's clearly also about um starting pitching and about the youth movement so to speak i sure. mean it's in a way called a youth movement it's really their only choice but how much do you feel like we're seeing at least pieces coming together of whatever this is going to be in two three years and and, and i without asking without trying to figure out what percentage of guys are going to be part of that i, I do wonder how many people you sort of are starting to see as entrenched. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the sort of the guys that pop out at you first that you want to get a real good look at over the, especially the, these last few weeks we have left that you already have for the previous two weeks are Rhino Horn and Hunter Dozier are giving you a lot. You already know that Minus is going to be part of your future. He's, he's going to be your shortstop of the future. But what can you plan on getting out of O'Hearn and Dozier for next year and beyond? And, you know, the, the, so, the sort of old adage cliche is, there's two months that fool you in baseball, which is March and September. So how much stock do you really put into September? We'll see. But Ryan O'Hearn has 10 home runs, and it's not – you know, we, we don't see a guy that – you know, when Mike Moustakis came up and hit, and hit some home runs when he first came up, you saw a lot of them parked out in, in right field. He was pulling the ball a lot down the line. I think the encouraging sign with O'Hearn is he hits the ball a lot of different ways. We've seen, I think, three or four opposite field home runs now. Hit a ball 430 feet to center a couple nights ago. So – those are the pieces I think you're you're looking most at. Now, of course, you know the rotation. I think we, we want to know who's going to be in that rotation next year. Well, before we get to the rotation, let, let's stay on Ryan O'Hearn for a second because he's he's been here. I mean, the yeah. Royals knew who he was, but they chose to start the season with Lucas Duda at, at first base. And if you if you had a Royals depth chart at the time, uh, organizational depth chart. O'Hearn would have been behind Schwindel, right? I mean, that's those were the two candidates that were in the system that you looked at maybe as uh, you know heir parents to Eric Hosmer at first, and Duda was a you know was a he was a guy that was signed 
to um, to give a, a, a major league at bat, a professional yeah. at bat. Bridge the gap. Maybe. Exactly. Bridge the gap. Good way of putting it. And, uh, and and Dayton Moore, him and like John Jay were the players that you signed, the Royals signed in the offseason so that they give the, so it wouldn't be a hundred loss team. And the fans would you know, at least would see a somewhat competitive team out there. Well, hit the wrong guy at first base, didn't they? I mean, just based yeah. on what we've seen the last few weeks with Ryan O'Hearn. That's an interesting twist on this whole question, right? The, the stopgap measures, the bridge the gap guys that they thought would buy time for the guys to get ready for the season. I mean, Duda got hurt and things like that, but it'd be interesting to see how the season would have played out if they just said, you know, we are all in on exposing these guys and priming the pump and getting them going. I, I don't know that it would have played out any differently, but um, but it's interesting to ponder. Yeah, you do wonder just how much that affects the guy's development. Did, are we seeing what we're seeing out of Ryan O'Hearn because he had three or four months in the minor leagues? And did that help him be more prepared for, for the shot he's getting now? Or was he this guy in, in April and, and he was ready for the shot in April and then we missed three or four months of what you could have seen out of Ryan O'Hearn? Now, he only had 11 home runs in Omaha this year. So we're seeing a, a, a major tick in production, and maybe that cautions you a little bit about the expectations for next year. But, you know, the one really interesting stat about him, and they showed it on the telecast a couple nights ago, is that he's hitting significantly better in his second and third bats of the game. Now, most starting pitchers struggle more the second or third time through the order, but his numbers are so drastically different that you wonder if, if he has that ability to sort of pick something up in his first at bat and apply it later on. Um, I actually asked him that a couple nights ago. He said he, he did. I asked Ned Yost that a couple nights ago, and he thought it was more of an anomaly. So uh, I, I guess we'll see how that plays did out. Did Ned say that gently? And, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> with a you know, sense of humor? <laughs> Just rolled with it, as, as Ned that, tends uh, not to do. That was, the, uh, that was before the game conversation, and last night in his second at bat, he tripled. So I tried to bring it up post-game, and he stopped me midway through the question. <laughs> By reassuring you that you would have been exactly, spot on. Exactly, exactly yeah. yeah. That's pretty, that's great pretty... observation, I think, as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be Ned. I, I, but, it, but it is an interesting, right? Uh, uh, look, he, he's, pitchers are seeing him. He's seeing American League pitchers for the first time. Yeah. Uh, there, there is something to that. There's something to, you know, you adjusting to pitching, pitching adjusting to you, and then adjusting on the adjustments. So, but I think Ryan O'Hearn has done enough to – to excite fans, that that the, the home run you mentioned, that center field shot the other night in the first game of this series, four hundred thirty feet, that was a bomb and a line drive. Too. Yeah, yeah, and his home runs are are you know they are pure power. I mean he's he, he's worth boy taking a fly. I mean you got to you got to continue to develop that and see what they got with him. And and, and who else do you, you mentioned you mentioned Schwindel, but who else do you really envision? Taking that spot at first base next. Year. Well, of course they had Hunter Dozier playing right. there. Uh, you know that was an experiment, I guess, for a while too. Um, and I see he's in the lineup tonight at first. At base. first base, and, and something about Hunter Dozier though, and is that they put him at third base when he first came up this year, and they thought he was a liability over there. And oh, as time has progressed here, man, he's got really comfortable at third base. Ned talked about that last night a lot. There, there was a sequence last night where he had. There were two on for Brad Keller was the, on the mound and nobody out and three consecutive outs to Hunter Dozier. All pretty difficult plays to get out of that inning without any damage. Uh, he came in on a ball and barehanded a ball last week that we hadn't seen him do before and threw a guy off. You know, he was off, uh, threw a guy out. He was off balance. He, he's backed up on the ball. He, he's got a very strong arm over there. And now all of a sudden, 
a guy they thought maybe was a weakness defensively, they think is a little bit of an above-average player defensively at third base. I find myself puzzled by this, and maybe there's been an explanation given that I haven't come across. But So why aren't you playing him at third every day? If you, if you think that, I mean, clearly that position's open. I don't know what they think of Cuthbert's future, et cetera. But um, I assume the rationale would have to be give different people at bats, even though I'm not sure why you're giving Escobar at bats, but whatever. Um, but I guess the, the real rationale has to be that they want to work on his, continue to work on his versatility, I guess. But I, if it were me, without understanding the, the factors at play, I'd feel like I'd have him at third every day. I want to see that left side. That might be my future infield right there. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And maybe that suggests a little bit about maybe, maybe uncertainty is not the right word, but maybe it is a little bit of uncertainty that he for sure is going to be that guy next year. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com, and it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash sports pass. Well, I just scribbled down what I thought the 2019 starting infield might be. Um, O'Hearn, Merrifield, Mondesi, Dozier. Is that reasonable to expect? Yeah, I think that's reasonable to expect. Yeah. What's... What's most likely to throw that off is where, what's what's the story on Cuthbert? What, well, what, I think what maybe what's most likely to throw that off is what happens with Whit Merrifield this offseason. He's had two straight productive seasons now. So anybody that maybe was hesitant about making an offer to the Royals looked at him and said, is this guy a fluke last year? But now he's done it for two straight years. And now you do wonder if some teams, you know, uh, a team that maybe comes to mind, the Boston Red Sox have Dustin Pedroia. And he's been out all year, and they, they got a, a, a stopgap with Ian Kinsler. But maybe they're a team that, that knocks on the Royals' door next year and says, hey, is this guy available? So that, to me, is going to be the thing to watch in the offseason is what this team does with, with Mayerfield. Do they think that he's still going to be here through the rebuild? Because he's under team control for a few more years still. My, my recollection, and I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not attributing it to the right news outlet. I really can't remember if it was us, if it was another local person, or if it was a national person, but... Dayton speaking publicly, or to a reporter anyway, saying that they've determined that Witt's part of their future. And I don't know if that means he's untouchable, but I do think it means that the certainly the first notion is we're, we're not shopping him. Um, and and it make, that makes sense because, like I said, he's under team control. For, yeah. for, even though he is 29 years old, so you might look at it and, and, and say, well... You know, maybe it is not the right place for a rebuilding team, but he's under team control for so long that if you feel like you're going to be competitive in, in two, three years, which we've, we've seen a lot of their acquisitions have been guys that are more major league ready as opposed to the longer rebuild, maybe you think he's still around and all of a sudden he's a pretty key piece of a, of a contending team. Is there any doubt that he's the team MVP for this year? No. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think you're right. Yeah, who, I don't even know who number two would be. I mean, Salvi, but um, he's got the home run numbers. But uh, but I think just day to day, Wood Merrifield's been their, their their most outstanding player for the year for sure. I mean, the the fact that he 
can impact a game in so many ways. We talked about the fact that he's leading the league and stolen bases. Heck, he's stolen third base 12 times, which just tells you his instincts for the game. Um, you know, he's a very good defensive player. They've played him in multiple spots this year to try and get some of this young talent in the lineup. They put him out in center some. We know he can play third base or, or right field. So, um, and obviously, you know, lately he's been hitting for power again. So he's maybe not, you know, consider him a power hitter, but he still has shown signs of, of, of all five tools. Speaking of all that, let me, I'm sorry, Blair, let me just quick barge in and ask you about how you see him on the seat. I mean, there's some special stuff he's been doing. I mean, he's still obviously raw, but but you've seen him probably take some steps here in the last few weeks or a month or so that suggest he's really on the right trajectory. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the athleticism stands out the most. So to go back to, again to the stolen bases, you know, when we talked to, to Ned Yost about it, he said, Whit Merrifield steals bases because he's a, he's a good base stealer. Minus he steals bases because he's so fast and athletic that he just gets there. And so, and he still has 16, and he says he still really hasn't figured out maybe the quote-unquote art of, of stealing a base. So he's a guy that I think in the future could steal 60, 70, maybe even 80 bases, which is sort of a lost lost art in baseball right now. But he, he's making some defensive plays, I think, is what stands out. We, we knew that he was a guy that was going to hit for power for his position, but... He's, he's covering some ground and making some defensive plays. Uh, you know, Jorge Lopez is uh, shot at a perfect game on Saturday night. He doesn't have that shot if, if Montesquieu's not playing shortstop, I don't think. Well, that's a good uh, – we're at a good point to transition into starting pitching because I'm kind of fascinated by that right now. And all, all of a sudden, um, you know, pre-All-Star break, you're wondering who in the world can they throw out there to, <laughs> to get the week, to get through the week. And now there is a plethora – Candidates for uh, for the rotation. It's, it occurs to me. Six man rotation. Yeah, they're, they're, actually, they're going with six men the rest of the way, right? Because because yeah. because of, of Ian Kennedy's return. Sure. Um, and we're seeing we're going to see what uh, Scoglund tonight, and uh, they're they've had guys really step up, throw the ball well, and I think the outlook is pretty bright for starting rotation uh, next year. Well, certainly from what I can tell, I mean, you, you start with. Uh, Duffy, Keller, assuming Danny's okay, and yeah. Junis with with at this, and now of course you have to be excited about Lopez. Um, I think Phil Meyer's been pretty decent. Yeah, not not every time out, but and then you got, of course, Kennedy's back, right? Um, Scott, you got Scoglin. We didn't they're they're going to they're going to give him. You know, he'll get two two or three and, more yeah, starts here. Still consider Scoglin going into spring training next year. He's going to be fighting for a rotation spot. Now, does he win that spot? Probably not when you when you look at the other guys we're mentioning, but they view him as a starter. They think he's got multiple pitches that that puts him in the rotation spot potentially. I can't. Rem- I'm embarrassed. I can't remember this, but I don't remember what the, the expectation of the status of Carnes is going forward. I, I don't. I don't know. Well, obviously, we're not going to see him. Yeah, this year. This but I mean, year is he, a, is he a factor in play as we look to next year? He's a name that will. Always be until he's not. He's yeah. you know he's still someone that I guess has to be mentioned in the position group. Yeah, uh, yeah. for the Royals. So, um, but yeah, I look. Look, look, yeah. They're, they're, look, they're having success against the Twins, the White Sox, the Orioles. Right. We know this. They haven't been steady diet of Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, um, uh, the Powers, even Oakland here recently. Uh, but nevertheless, all you can do is beat the team that right. you're playing that night, and they've been doing it. Yeah, and I think what's what's going to be interesting is they're going to play Minnesota again this weekend, and a lot of these guys 
are going to be facing the same team in back-to-back starts. In other words, they're going to see they're going to have to adjust and maybe go with a little bit of a different game plan because the Twins know what Jorge Lopez is coming with when he pitches Friday night here at Kauffman Stadium. Does he have a secondary game plan that he can still get major league hitters out, even if it is the Minnesota Twins? I mean, these are still major league hitters, and does he have an alternative to, to still be able to get guys out? What do we make of Lopez? I mean, that was I didn't realize this until uh, I think I heard Ryan uh, Rex talk about it on, on the broadcast. That's the farthest that a Royals pitcher has taken a perfect game uh, in, into the you know into a game, right? Yeah, through eight was, innings. Yeah, that had never happened in Royals history, and. We're all on the edge of our seats, seeing if they could, uh, could complete it. Didn't happen, but what a what a phenomenal game! And, yeah, um, changes the way maybe you think about him a little bit. Yeah, you know he, he's got a really good curveball. That that's his out pitch, and he struggled a couple of years in the minor leagues. And it's actually a story I'm writing this week. But he was thrown in, in Milwaukee's AAA system, and as we all know, that that's Colorado. So they his spin rate. The, the coaches told him we don't like your spin rate. So they actually bumped him back to double A and thought that maybe that would get his pitches back. Well, it, the, the deal is it's a psychological thing, too. When all of a sudden you get beat up for, for a full season and now maybe you don't trust your. He's I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, Sam. He's what? <laughs> uh, just just something. He's also added a pitcher. You know, he's throwing more of a sinker in Kansas City since he came back because we, in Milwaukee, he was a reliever. So he, he went into a, a, an outing thinking, I only need about 15 pitches to get through it. He was throwing a lot, a lot of his just fastball and building a lot off that. Now, he still builds off of his fastball, but a lot of them are uh, those pitches are sinkers now. So he, he's getting some weak contact, which allows him to get through innings quicker. It allows him to throw deep into games. You know, that's what was so amazing about that perfect game. A lot of bid is a lot of times you see – Young pitchers, when when they they go after that, they've thrown you know 100, 115 pitches, and then you've got the manager sitting there stewing in the in the dugout about what to do with the young arm. But I think he'd only thrown was like 83. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So, um, he's going to be the most intriguing guy. I think he, regardless, he's one of 12 on the staff. The question is, where does he fit in? So, what do we, what do we, as we wind down, what do we expect? The rest of the way from these guys, they're they're going to lose a hundred. I mean, it's almost unavoidable, right? Uh, what what are I they going they to? Have, I think they would have to go fourteen and four not to lose a hundred. Okay, so that's that's going to happen. The, I guess the big question is: do they avoid one hundred and six? That's that's the number, right? the, the the club record for losses, and um, you'd hate to, you really would hate to see that just so soon after a world championship to um, to, to be to set the club record for for L's in a season I the way they're playing I, I don't think there's any way you can uh, you can say that that's it's a cinch that it's, they're gonna get it a couple of a few weeks ago we would have said for sure right uh, but I, I a couple weeks ago I was thinking whatever the record is for modern times 120 was in, in, <laughs> in play in right yeah, the, the, the right. Mets record from 62 yeah. huh. you know, looking at their schedule here there's some winnable games left on the schedule when you've got Minnesota coming into town you go to Pittsburgh who's not been good since the and, and not in the not in the playoffs anymore. They're not you in the playoff hunt. Detroit and Cincinnati, and then you play Cleveland at home. Sure, Cleveland's a playoff team. They're going to have everything wrapped up when they come. Yeah, to so they are. Those last be, four games. Yeah, yeah. So Cleveland's the only playoff team, and they will have clinched by far. Yeah, you know, they, if they haven't already, I don't know if they might have. But uh, 
You're right. They're not going to get Cleveland's you know best shot there. They're going to be setting their rotation up for the postseason. Right. They'll probably pitch some guys maybe five, four or five innings, but you're not going to. You're going to see a, a lot of their their September call ups. I think in that game. So five hundred ish maybe to to finish it out. Keep you keep know, kind of keep going on this track and. Again, without seeing the blood and guts as much as you have, Sam, I, I kind of feel like that's where it's headed. And I sort of feel like you made a great point earlier with the March and September ball being the most deceiving. But but look, I do think it leaves you with a little different feel if you kind of come out of this with an upward swing and just a little bit of a base. And, and you feel like not just, you know, now we're getting rid of all these people, but that you've actually found some more people that are going to be part of what's coming. And I, I think you get something to at least sell fans on a little bit. Yeah, I think that's going to be an important thing is these are a lot of guys that are getting their first taste of the major leagues. And Dayton Moore has been a huge proponent of building a winning culture, getting these guys used to winning games. So even if it's meaningless in the standings, there's some meaning behind that, I think, going into next year. All right, good thought to end it on. I appreciate uh, everybody listening to the Kansas City Stars Royals podcast. For Sam McDowell and, and Vahir Gregorian, I'm, I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We'll talk to you again next week. Woo!